So today is Sweethearts Day, and and some may have sweethearts, some may not have a sweetheart here this morning. Some of you, uh, some of you, your sweetheart may have already uh, went on to glory. Some of you may just be looking. And in the market, and if you are, we pray that it's the godly person that he has for you. But today is Sweetheart's Day, and take time just to tell somebody. Maybe, we're, you know, we already got sweetheart stuff for our grandkids, uh, because they are our sweethearts. Not romantically, but they are our sweethearts. So we pray that you enjoy today, and very much so as it's Valentine's Day. Eat lots of chocolate candy, that used to be the tradition. And uh, buy, you probably already buy some of those expensive roses. They'll be dead by Wednesday. So, you know, you know, I, you know, I, so I don't buy those things for my wife because, uh, you know, we're allergic to them anyway. So, uh, but anyway, enjoy Valentine's with, uh, with that special someone or those special kids or whoever it may be today. Some of you all may know, some of you older people in the room may know who this guy is. Anybody got any guesses? No. Nobody. Nobody. Who? No, it's not Cap, but that's that's a good that's a good guess, Adam. That is a good guess. It's not far back. Way back in the ancient days of 1985. <laughs> Way back in the ancient days of 1985, this guy was 40 years old. He is a pop music artist and his name is Bob Seeger. And he had a, he had a band that was called the Silver Bullet Band. Bob Seeger composed a song back in that day, back in that era, that was based on a, his life experience. Being 40 years old, uh, some of you fellas maybe have been through this already like Myself, I've already experienced it. But 40 years old, he was starting to experience this midlife crisis thing that happens in your mid-30s and your 40s. Sometimes it maybe even lasts into your 60s, I don't know. But the song was one, it, it was about a carefree young man. Um, and this young man suddenly perceives that he is no longer as young. As he used to be. Are any of y'all like that? Have any of y'all experienced that yet? That you're not as young as you used to be? Heath is sitting over there shaking his... No, no, not me. It's coming. I hope it comes. You know, anyway, because if it don't come, then that's, you know, not good. Uh, but he's not as young as he used to be. And amidst, but amidst the reminiscing, if you read the lyrics to this song, this song says that he realizes though that 20 years later, 20 years later, as a 40 year old man, I'm still standing strong. And the next words became the title of the song. Like a rock. Like a rock. Much of the song's success actually came through a sales campaign by the General Motor Corporation. From 1991 through 
excuse me, 1991 through 2004, I had a youngster not too long ago. He said, he said, man, he said, he said, my grandparents were real old. They were born in the 1900s. From 1991 till 2004, General Motors Corporation took that song and made it the theme song. They uh, they they uh, they acquired the rights to it and they used it in their Chevrolet truck commercials. I was going to play play one. In fact, Warren may be able to find one to play at the end of service, but because of copyright uh, infringements, if we if we play it now, they're going to block our broadcast this morning. But in this ad, it depicted these Chevy trucks, Chevrolet, not Ford, Chevrolet, being brawny, being tough, being enduring. They was dropping stuff in the beds of the trucks and squatting when they would bounce right back up. They would have those trucks going down over the sides of mountains and through mud holes and over rough terrain. They had the, they had Chevrolet trucks pulling Ford trucks out of the mud. They had all kinds of stuff going on. And, and, and the, the whole commercial was centered around Chevy trucks like a rock. Longer lasting, more durable trucks. Been on the road for more than 20 years. That ad actually is one of the most effective and still is one of the longest running advertisement campaigns ever in history. It's real catchy. Because it said something, especially to us as Americans. It said something to us, like a rock, we're rough. We're tough. We're invincible. We come back. We bounce back. We're long lasting. Even if the, even if we get rust holes big enough that you can throw a cat through, we're still going to keep running down the road. Scott Browning's not in the room to amen me on that one. He just sold his Chevy truck. And you think about rocks. You think about rock is the, rock is the, the substance of a rock itself. Rock is, is solid. It's solid and its density makes it particularly hard. Most of us, when we think about ro- a rock or we think about rocks, we think about something that is lasting, something that is very hard. It has structural integrity that is uh, unsurpassed. The only thing that can even be compared to a rock is, 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 is steel, in fact. And the rock has been used to form the mightiest buildings on the face of the earth. In fact, the, the, the building that we're seated in right here, right now, this this morning, it is it is made of rock. There is rock underneath the, the this building. You go out back here and you look at the hillside where it was dug out, and there is rock. There was there is concrete, which is uh, a element of rock that is poured underneath our feet. This this the foundations of this building are on a form of rock, if you would. So massive materials, some of the greatest buildings on the face of the earth. They're all formed around rock, firm foundation. They have firm lintels and, and massive headers in them that are formed out of rock. In fact, the nine oldest structures on the face of the earth are constructed of rock. And the oldest known structure on the face of the earth, which is over 9,000 years old, guess what it's constructed of? Rock. 
So as we go to the book of Daniel this morning, we find the account of, of the prophet Daniel as he's revealing uh, a dream that has been had, if you would, by King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's getting very frustrated at this point. He's dreamed a dream and he doesn't understand the dream and the dream is, has startled him. The dream has troubled him in his spirit and, and nobody can interpret the dream if you would. Uh, and, and he even issues a, a threat, if you would, of sorts of, of trying. He is so desperate to know what his dream meant or what it means because it, it, he was troubling to him. So go to book of Daniel chapter 2. And, and this is this is the conversation that Daniel is having with Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he's saying. And, and I've got quite a bit of scripture to read this morning. Uh, so I appreciate your patience with me in that. But I think it's very important to grasp with a word that I feel like God. My wife asked me earlier this week. She said, are you preaching a Valentine's message this Sunday? I said, uh, no, really hadn't thought about it. But I'll excuse myself saying any message about the gospel of Jesus Christ is a love message, okay? Daniel chapter 2. Your majesty looked. Your majesty looked. Remember, he's tell, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He's telling him what he saw. He said, your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue. An enormous, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and its arms were of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet, notice this, very important, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken into pieces and became like the chaff on a threshing floor, which is the waste, the waste, that's the waste of the wheat. The chaff lie on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and it filled the whole earth. This was the dream, verse 36, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to you. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that great head of gold. Speaking to Nebuchadnezzar there. After you, another kingdom will arise. Inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom of bronze will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom. Strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. This is very important to us. For iron is very strong. Iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all of the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, 
So this will be a divided kingdom. Let me, let me pause there and say this. Pay, pay attention what the word is saying to us. Aaron and clay do not mix. It's like oil and water. There are certain components and there's elements. I, I, I never, I never, I, I like science. I did okay in it, but I, you know, I'm not a scientist by any means or, or, or a chemist by any means. But there are certain things that you could, or like oil and water that you can put together that don't mix. Iron and clay do not mix. Okay? So, partly baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet, it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Hello. Think about the condition of the earth today. In the time of those kings, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain. But not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold to pieces. I want to preach to you this morning this message that that I've called like a rock. And I want to give you some, I want to give you some scriptural understanding, hopefully, this morning, uh, of, of where we're looking, where we're going to, and what we're looking at in the scripture. I want to help you to understand the vision, if you would. The gold, as we read in scripture, represents Nebuchadnezzar's reign. It was a mighty empire. It was the Babylonian empire. And you can see the number of years that it, that it did reign there on the overhead and it lasted. And, and, and it was a powerful kingdom. Uh, one of the greatest kingdoms to ever be on the face of the earth. The silver, as we are told in scripture, represented the <coughs> Medo-Persian empire that would, that would arise after the fall of Babylon. There's... There's something that I want you to take note of in these kingdoms. Every one of these kingdoms ended. Every one of these kingdoms has come to an end. Babylon ended, the Medo-Persian Empire arises, the Medo-Persian Empire does not last. The the Greek Empire begins to rise up after the Medo-Persian Empire, the thighs of brass and that took place uh, in the years leading up to uh, the incarnate birth, the birth of the incarnate Christ, if you would. The iron represented, if you would, the uh, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is the, the, the is the longest lasting empire that's ever been known on the face of the earth. But yet it crumbled. It, the Roman Empire lasted uh, nearly three times as long as the United States of America has been in existence right now. But it crumbled. The Roman Empire was in existence when when. 
uh, the angel of the Lord came to, to, and visited Mary and said, you're going to conceive a child. She said, I can't be. I've never been with a man before in my life. Said the child that you're going to have is going to be conceived of the Holy Ghost and you're going to bear this child. And this child is going to be the savior of the world. And, and, and this child would be hung and, and crucified on a cross, falsely accused. And there he would die. He would give his life on the cross and he would be put in a borrowed tomb and he would be resurrected from the grave in, in order that you and I may be saved. And all of that happened during the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire would fail. And when the Roman Empire fails, we find our, our we find that the age of the iron and clay come into existence. The age of the iron and clay is a confederation of of kingdoms, if you would. It was, it speaks of the world in its entirety. It speaks of, it speaks of nations that are divided, nations that don't mix, nations, and, and, and you remember the scripture that says, and, and in that day you shall hear of, uh, you shall hear of, of earthquakes in diverse places, and it speaks of, you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. Let me tell you something. It, uh, I, it's not that I'm against peace, but when we are crying out and asking and wanting peace on the earth and peace in our communities and peace in all of the world, I've got some devastating news for you. If you have great hopes of the world finding itself in a peaceful situation, it's not going to happen, at least not yet. At least not yet. See, because we are in the age of, of the divided kingdom. We're in the age of the iron and the clay. And iron and clay do not mix. And the iron and clay will continue to work. And it will continue to be divided. And it will continue to iron will, and the clay will war against one another. And that sounds a little depressing to think about that, doesn't it? It sounds a little, it sounds a little discouraging to think about, well man, we're, we're, we're in the iron and clay. Things are not, things are not just really not going to get any better than they are right now. And that probably is a, that probably is a, uh, legitimate thought that things are probably just not going to get a much better in this world than they are right now. That's legitimate. Because the reality of it is, in, in, when you're speaking of this world as the dimension of time that we live in right now, it is probably not going to get any better than it is right now. And, uh, and quite frankly though, you and I, us Americans, the United States of Americans, we, we have, we probably have it by and large, overall, we have it better than any other nation on the face of the earth. But it's probably not going to get any better than it is right now. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a doomsday prophet. I'm just sharing with you the word. But, and I want you to grasp this and understand this. Because the great hope happens in the latter part of Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Because Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw all this happen. But he said, but then... This, and I believe this was the really disturbing part 
to Nebuchadnezzar. That's just my opinion. I have no, no scriptural proof of that. It's just my opinion. I believe this was the disturbing part to Nebuchadnezzar because somehow I, I, I believe that in, if, if I could imagine Nebuchadnezzar's dream in my mind that he sees this great soldier and, and he sees the, the, the different parts of the body and the structure of the soldier. But then in the background there's this large mountain and all of a sudden a rock is carved out of that mountain and down out of that mountain rolls a rock and as that rock rolls down the mountain that mountain runs into this great soldier and and the head of gold and the breastplate of silver and the thighs of brass and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay all is suddenly destroyed and suddenly annihilated by a rock that came out of nowhere man this sounds like science fiction pastor You've been staying up watching that late night TV on some of those, some of those internet networks, haven't you? No. I've been reading the Word of God and I find out that, that as we look at this rock, there is a rock that comes and it crushes the latter kingdom. The iron and clay is crushed and it confirms the prophecies of the predecessors of Nebuchadnezzar because in Genesis we find that there is prophecy uh, 49, Genesis 49 of a stone that will rise up out of Israel. In, in, in Psalms 118.22, David unknowingly speaks a word of prophecy prophecy about a stone that the builders would reject. In Isaiah, in his prophetic writings, he writes in chapter 28, a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. He speaks of that stone. You see, this stone, this rock that Nebuchadnezzar sees carved out of the mountain, not with the hand of a man, but with the hand of God, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of the world that will come and rule and reign and take authority. So we see four representations, if you would, of the rock in Jesus Christ. The first representation of the rock is the virgin birth. And when I say the representations of the rock, this is, I want you to gather, uh, I, I want you to leave here hopefully with the realization that what I'm saying to you, the, these, these are things, these are four things that are basic for the necessity, uh, they're a necessity of you to have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. These are four foundational truths that we must latch hold on and believe. You know, I, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Let me tell you, you can, uh, you know, I, I may get called, I may, may get called prejudice. I, I could even get called racist in this, but let me tell you something. I am not given over as a pastor, uh, of, of a church, of a Pentecostal church in Bluewell, West Virginia. I am not given over to this whole concept and idea of universal religion. I, I was listening. There's a guy on TV. I won't name his name, but I, but I've always wondered how can this guy be a Christian witness and then turn around? He talks about the goodness of God and all the power of God, and then turns around and cusses like a sailor. I never have figured that out. 
But, but, but then here a few weeks ago, it came out in the news. He said there's many, many ways to get to heaven. Many people have their, have their gods, but there's only really one God. Let me tell you this. I read in scripture that there is only one way that we can access the Father. And it's through and by the man Jesus Christ. Any other way to get to heaven, you're as a thief and a robber. So am I saying that we as Jesus followers are the only ones that's got it right? Absolutely that's what I'm saying. Because Jesus said I am the way. He said I am the truth. He said there's no way to get to the Father other than by me. So this the four representations of biblical truth has found in this stone of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Like a rock the stone represents the virgin birth. We must, we must identify with the virgin birth. We must, we must realize that Jesus, like this stone, this stone originated out of that mountain by supernatural means. So did Jesus originate by supernatural means. He was conceived of a virgin. She had never known a man, but yet this child grew in her womb and his, and her cousin's baby rejoiced when John the Baptist, when he even got close to Mary, he is the stone that is cut out of the ancient mountain without hands. And he is the stone, the rock that's represented in the virgin birth. Jesus was born of a virgin, yet he was rejected. Just like we read in the words of the prophets. He was rejected, but yet he is the cornerstone. The cornerstone, if you uh, if you can gain a little bit of knowledge about ancient building. Sarah and I was in Israel back in 2012. We would love to go back again, but we stood on the wall along the Jerusalem walls. It wasn't the original wall, but it's a, it's a, the newer wall that I think was built in the second period. And, and we begin to look, and they showed us the cornerstone. Uh, they, they 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 took us and they said, "Look at this stone!" And it was massive. It was longer than this room is wide. It was about as tall as this room is tall. And it, who knows? How did they even move it? I don't have a clue. I don't know. There's a lot of different speculation. But that cornerstone was laid in a corner, of course. And that stone was from there. Every other stone that was laid around the city of Jerusalem was put in place. But it was all centered around that cornerstone. Jesus describes himself as the chief cornerstone. He is the he is our foundation. If we build on any other foundation, we're in He is the unique cornerstone that was shown through the virgin birth. He came after the uh, the order of... Melchizedek we find in Hebrews chapter 7. Who is Melchizedek you may ask? Well I'll just tell you real briefly. You find that Melchizedek may have been the greatest person in the Old Testament. He may have been greater than Abraham. He may have been greater than Isaac. He may have been greater than Jacob when you read this. But yet he was known as the mysterious king of Salem. They don't know where he came from. They don't know where he went. And Jesus, we he, he he didn't have to have circumstance to exist because he came from the throne of God. He didn't have circumstances to exit because he returned to the throne of God. He followed the, he followed the order of Melchizedek. A superior everlasting covenant was established by Melchizedek, but an even greater covenant was established in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see is the cross is represented in this rock that was hewn out of the mountain. 
When we read the Old Testament, if you remember your little Bible stories and you're you're a child about Moses, you remember that Moses' first encounter, Moses, God told Moses to strike the rock. And as he struck the rock, struck, if you understand what struck means, it struck means strike the rock, it means to cross the rock. When Moses struck the rock, water came out of the rock. Water is a representation, a representation, an illustration of life in the spirit. Moses struck the rock, God said. Moses struck the rock. As he crossed the rock, water came out. But then there was another occurrence, and, and, and Jesus was told to speak to the rock. Because let me tell you this, you may not ever capture this before in scripture. There's only need for one cross. Are you with me? There's only need for one cross. God told Moses the first time, cross the rock. Once was enough. The second time he said, Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses disobeyed. And Moses actually struck the rock a second time. And when he struck the rock the second time, it was not good. Because the smitten rock was in essence saying that the first cross wasn't sufficient. Let me tell you, Jesus went once, and He went once, and He went for all. There's nothing you can do. I was reading an obituary the other day of somebody, and I, I, as I read that obituary, that obituary said, this loved one has made it to, to heaven that they have worked for and worked for so long. And I told Sister Sarah, I said, let me tell you, I love those people, and, and I, I know they mean well, and I know they're hurting because we just came through loss ourselves. I said, but I'm going to tell you something. That brother didn't work for anything that he's inheriting right now. I, didn't, I can't work for heaven. I can't work myself into heaven, out of heaven, to heaven, or anything else. But the, but the work that is done, that order that we may get to heaven, was done on the cross of Calvary when Jesus willingly spread his arms they nailed him to that cross. He was the smitten. He wasn't. He wasn't no longer. Uh, he was the cross that was struck, and water came out of his side. And if we try to make any other means of getting to heaven, we are as guilty of Moses of smiting the rock. So the rock is illustrated in the cross. The third illustration is this. It's illustrated in salvation and judgment. Now, let me tell you, uh, I'm 59 years old. I know you're looking at me and saying, oh, I didn't think he's a day over 45. <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah, it is. Yeah, 60s, getting younger every day. But you know what? Uh, and I've seen in many years of Christianity, you know, over 40 years of, well over 40 years of Christianity, of being a Jesus follower, not that I've been perfect in that, I've seen a lot of changes happen. In 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 uh, thirty one years of ministry, 
I've seen a lot of things happen. and I've seen a lot of things change. Now, I understand methodologies change. The message doesn't change necessarily, in, in essence, but methodologies, the way we do ministry changes. But sometimes, sometimes it worries me a little bit. And I, I know sometimes our, our, our ancestors, my, my ancestors, those that I grew up under when they preached, I know sometimes they went off on tangents and, and they got on clothesline preaching. And for those of you that have dish, dishes and, and cable TV now, you don't even remember antennas. I remember, you know, when they called the TV the one-eyed monster in the center of your house, you know, and, and the devil's horns were growing out the chimney because people put antennas up on their chimney. I remember all that stuff. And some of some of it, granted, was unnecessary. But over the past... I don't know, over the past half generation or so, I hear a lot of preaching. And boy, this is ironic, isn't it? Valentine's Day. I hear a lot of preaching about love. I saw, it was a, it was a Facebook survey somebody put up the other day. What do you think of when you think of love? What do you think of when you think of love? There was people put, my husband, my wife, my children, Jesus. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about it. I, I was saying, how, how am I going to respond to this? And I ended up not responding to it, by the way. But you know, I began to think about it. I was actually here in the church office, began to think about it. And I began to think about the scripture that says, whom the Lord loves, he often chastises. You know, we, we don't want, we, we don't hear too much preaching anymore about Jesus that's coming to judge. We don't hear too much anymore about God. Oh man, it's got really quiet in here now. Somebody drop a pen. I'd like to hear it bounce. We don't hear too much preaching, Brother Ballard. We don't hear, we don't hear too much preaching. Uh, you know, you, you know, and sometimes, sometimes it was, sometimes it was way far off, but, but we don't, I, I remember those um, old preachers, at, oh, Brother Gene Lawson was his name, and he would get preaching and throw his, he'd throw his pants, or his foot up on the first pew, and he would shake his pants leg like this, and, and old Brother Gene, he said, I'll tell you right now, ha, if you don't turn to the Lord, ha, that you, you don't end up in the devil's hell ha, for all of eternity. We don't hear much of that anymore. It's more like I said last week. Tiptoe through the tulips with me. But you know, somewhere along the way, I think that we need to recall and remember that this rock, this rock that was cut out of the mountain, when it came down and to the to the that final existing kingdom, that 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 if you would, that confederate of kingdoms, which speaks of the world today. There are many nations, many countries on the face of the earth today. We we are iron and clay. We don't mix. We don't get along. We don't work together. We don't worship together. 
together. We hear talk of one world government and all like that. But let me tell you, and there is a day that that's going to come, by the way. But but in the meantime, there's a rock right now that's being hewn out of the mountain. God's got, the Father's got His chisel out, and He's chiseled out. That rock, is it's already came through, to be honest with you. It came in the first coming of Jesus Christ when He was born of a virgin in a manger over in the city of Bethlehem. And there was peace on earth and goodwill to men. And He's been gone some 33 years after that. He went back to take a seat at the right hand of the Father. But there's a Jesus that's coming back to this earth again. It's the same Jesus, but He's not going to be a baby in a manger. But He's coming as reigning King. He's coming with a vesture on. He's coming if He's given to us, whether you take it literally or metaphorically, I don't care. But He's coming back on a white horse in all power, all kingdom, and all authority. And He will judge the nations of this world. You see, and in that, He is the rock of ages. He is the chief cornerstone. If one is not built on that chief cornerstone, I again remind you, if you're not built on that chief cornerstone, your wall is going to come, is going to crumble. If you're not built on that chief cornerstone, your wall is going to collapse when the stone comes rolling down out of the mountain. You see, we pray a prayer, and we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it was actually not the Lord's Prayer. He gave it to the disciples. It's actually the disciples' prayer. And that that prayer says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, when we pray that prayer, we're inviting the stone that rolled out of the mountain, that was carved out of the mountain. We are setting before God. We are the people. We are the generation of iron and clay that can't get along. We can't mix together. But we are calling for the kingdom of God to come. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for that kingdom of God to come? You see, it's the fulfillment of God's plan. The fulfillment of God's plan. And in that last, and I don't know if I actually, yeah, it's the second coming. The second coming. The second coming. Now, sometimes, in, and this, okay, we, we could, this, this is one of those theological debates that is probably not worth debating over. Uh, because it's not going to change the principle at all in the you know, some people believe in pre-tribulation rapture, mid-trib rapture, and post-trib rapture. There are Christians that believe that there's not going to be a rapture at all, to be frank with you. I, I, I'm, I'm going to preach to you a pre-trib rapture as long as I, as, as long as I am. I'll preach to you a pre-trib rapture. It's the basis of our doctrine in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. It's part of that. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That means before, uh, that means before the tribulation sets in that there is going to come a sound from heaven. The trumpet, and the trumpet is not Michael's trumpet. It's not David's trumpet. It's the trumpet voice of God. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. And Jesus will step out on the clouds of heaven and He will call for His church to come on home. And we find, in layman's terms, we find that scripture that the graves are going to open up. The 
He's going to give up the dead. Cremated ashes are going to come together. The dead in Christ are going to rise first and those that remain are going to rise up to meet them together in the air to forever to be with our Lord. And we talk about that and we call it the rapture of the church. But I want you to know something. The rapture of the church is not the second coming. The rapture of the church is the second appearing. Because Jesus is not coming and setting foot on earth in that hour, in that time. But there will be seven years of tribulation. You think things are bad now. You've heard the expression hell on earth. You don't, you and I, we don't know anything about that yet. When I study prophetic scripture and I study Daniel and I study Revelation and we don't have time to go into that detail this morning. But you think it's bad now. You ain't seen nothing yet if you were left behind in the tribulation. You can't imagine. I've, I, I, you know, years, many years ago, I watched a movie, and some of you may have too, called Mad Max. Mad Max is, it's, it's hideous, it's, it's gory, you know, it's, it, it, it's cruel, it's violent, it's unreal, and, and it was a sci-fi movie. I don't know how, man, that thing's been, how many years has it been out, Jerry? 30 years? Maybe more than that. And, 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 you know, it was crazy. It was way ahead of its time, so to speak. Let me tell you something. Mad Max cannot hold a light for what's coming to earth. After the rapture takes place. And for seven years we'll see great tribulation come upon the earth. But then there's coming after that seven years. There's coming a period of time when Jesus says I'm going to go back. And I'm going to set one foot on land. And I'm going to set another foot on sea. And I'm going to declare that time shall be no more. You see, we all we all think that the earth, or I should say we all, many people think that the earth is just going to blow to smithereens and not exist anymore. No, 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 no. That's not true at all. Because Jesus said, I'm going to put one foot on land, the other on the sea. And I'm going to declare that time shall be no more. And everything that God intended in the origin of of his creation of this place that we live on is going to be restored and renewed and Jesus himself will rule and reign over the earth. He will be the king of kings. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There will not be a fake presidential election. There will not be fake news. There won't be any crooks. There won't be any impeachment. But Jesus will reign and there will be no challenge to His authority and His reign. And that is the second coming of the Lord. It's the fulfillment of the Father's plan. And we read, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, then the end will come. The end will come. Not the end of the earth, but the ends of the kingdoms of this earth, the end of the clay and the end of the iron that can't get together. He says, then the end will come when the hand, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. So like a rock, like a rock, Jesus is coming. Like a rock, he's already come once. He came as a babe in a manger. Like a rock, he's coming back again to reign over this earth. So if you think the earth is helpless, I got news for you. It's just, it's just for a short period of time. Time was created for our benefit anyway. Because God is eternal. 
And in a short period of time, and I, listen, I told you a few minutes ago how old I am, how, how long I've been around. I've been hearing Jesus is coming for a lot of years. Some of you have been hearing it more years than I have. Jesus is coming. I haven't seen him yet. I haven't heard him yet. But I still believe he's coming. Now, I'm not, I don't claim to be real smart. I don't, I don't claim to have superb intelligence at all. But just a little bit of common sense tells me that every single day that passes by, every single flip of that calendar page, every year that we mark off, and God knows some of us really want to mark off 2020. Every year that we mark off, let me tell you something. We are one day closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Common sense tells me that. We weren't put here for just for a span of time. Sometimes I look at our lives as as, as, as humans, especially people that, those of us that are followers of Jesus, I look at us, and there's not too many of us that are living to die. We're living to live, secularly. We're live, we live like there's always going to be another tomorrow. There's always going to be another day. When all the time, We forget about what James wrote in his epistle. He said, don't say that today or tomorrow we're going to do this or do that. He said, because life is just like a puff of steam, a vapor in the King James Version. He said, life is like a vapor. You can go out here, it's damp and it's cold this morning. And if you go out here, and, of course, you're not supposed to, that's, that's not good health practices during COVID. Don't do it towards anybody, okay? But if you go out here and puff your breath, you'll see a little bit of steam come out of your nostrils and out of your mouth. And and it'll go for just a little while. I was a heathen when I was a kid. We'd go to Micromac grocery store. And I'd give me a pack of them candy cigarettes and I like to act like I was smoking cigarettes when I was a kid and especially in cold weather because you do this with that candy cigarette and, it, and it, you thought you know you'd pretend you smoke listen that's nothing but vapor it's nothing but steam and it goes about this far and then it's gone and that's what James says James in his epistle he said that's what life is like he said it's here for just a little while and then it's gone A.B. Simpson, a really old preacher many years ago, said there's a difference from, in, there is a looking for it and a looking at it. He said, believers need to consider, are we looking for it or are we looking at it? You see, and, and the illustration that I want to give you in that is this. Most everybody in here has either been to, been part of, or wish you hadn't been part of a wedding sometime or another. And in a wedding, we know how that goes. We know there's a, there's, if it's a real, well, I'm just if, if, if it is a, if it is a biblical wedding, there will be a man and woman. 
the man's dressed up and, you know, of course, you know, it's not always tuxes and suits anymore. But the man's dressed in his attire. The, the woman is dressed in her attire. And, and then you have, then you have, usually have a clergy of some kind, of some sort, an officiant. And then you, you'll have, you'll have the congregation or the audience. And that audience is all sitting there. All of the women are wanting to see how pretty the bride is when she comes in. Nobody has seen her yet. She's got her dress on. It's a flowing train. It's a beautiful veil. And, and all the ladies are just there. They're just, oh, look at the bridesmaid's dresses. And you're all excited to look at the bride to see what she's going to look like. And all the guys are sitting there and said, and they're thinking, okay, somebody talk this fella out of doing this while he's still got time. So the, the audience is sitting back there and they're looking at the bride and they're looking at the groom and they're having their thoughts and, 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 uh, you know, maybe even criticism, who knows. But, but, but the audience is looking at the couple. But let me tell you, when that when that bride steps to the door of the church, when she steps to the back doors of the sanctuary and the doors swing open, she's not looking at everybody that's sitting around in that congregation. She's looking at her groom. She's looking at that fellow, whether he's in blue jeans and cowboy boots or whether he's in a, he's in a $500 tux and, and floor shine shoes. That's not necessarily the important thing is how he's dressed. But she's looking at because that's the love of her life. She's looking for And that groom is standing up here. And that groom is looking back there. When that door swings open, he sees the most beautiful woman that he's ever beheld in his life. This is this bride. She's adorned in a wedding dress. She's all fixed. She may not ever look as pretty again as she does on this day. But today, he's not looking just at her, but he's looking for her to come walking through that door. You see, there's a difference in looking at and looking for. If you're looking at Jesus and expecting His coming, ah, you might miss the point. But if you're looking for Him, if you're looking for Him, because the Bible depicts that we, as those that have made a decision to be followers of Jesus, we are the bride of Christ. We are adorned. The wedding dress is on. The train is following far behind us. The veil is over our heads. We are, we are ready to enter into the sanctuary for the wedding to begin. And the groom is standing at the front and he is ready to behold his bride. And the bride is ready to behold him. And they're about to engage into holy matrimony, if you would. And that is a relationship that we are given for Christ and His church. Don't be looking at the bride. Don't be looking at the groom. But be looking for Him. Be looking for her. Be looking and anticipating that the rock that's hewn out of the mountain is about ready to take His rightful position. The rock 
the rock is about ready to sweep the bride off of her feet. So are you ready? Like a rock. Like a rock. Got this thing upside down. There we go. Like a rock. I want you to remember this. Like a rock. Solid as a rock. Chevy trucks. They will rust out, won't they, Scott? Like a rock. Jesus won't rust out. Like a rock. He was. He is. And He will be. I just want you to bow your heads with me just a minute. It's Valentine's Day. And I want to tell you something. I just preached to you the greatest love message you could ever hear. It's about a God that loved you so much. And me so much in a fallen world. That He would give His only begotten Son. The rock that would be hewn out of a mountain. That we could be saved. The rock that gives us hope in a world that's world of iron and clay. It doesn't mix. And it's never going to bond together. But that rock is coming out of the mountain to judge the nations of the world. But here's the thing. You don't want to be here when He comes to judge the nations of the world. Because you want to be with Him. And because when Jesus comes back and He's one foot on land and one foot on sea and time shall be no more and He comes back to rule this earth, guess what? He's not coming along, but He's bringing the redeemed of the Lord. That's the saved. That's the Christian. And the redeemed of the Lord are coming back and they're going to rule and reign on this earth with Him. So the rock doesn't come back along. In this room and on social media this morning, I want to ask you a question. Is your foundation on the rock? Is your trust on the rock? Are you building on the chief cornerstone, the rock of Jesus Christ? If you're in this room, I won't embarrass you. I promise I won't. I won't. I'm not going to pull you out. I'm going to point you out. I'm not in the embarrassing business. But I want to ask you, if you're in this room, anyone at all, and you need to establish your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with nobody looking around, nobody judging you, we're not here to do that, but this is what I want you to do. Would you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to get my life on the steady rock. Is there anybody in this room at all? Nobody looking other than myself. We just want to know how to pray. Is there one person? And those of you that are watching by Facebook Live, if you know you need to get your life centered upon the steady rock, the opportunity is real for you right now just as much as those that are sitting in this room. Those of you who are listening by radio, the opportunity likewise is there for you. Like a rock. This world will fail me. The systems of this world have already failed me and they will continue to fail me. The monetary system may very well fail. The electrical grid may fit, may and probably will fail. 
There's many things in this world will fail me. But listen, there is a rock that is carved. A mysterious rock carved out of the mountain. That will roll down out of the Babylon. And it will roll through the, the Persian Empire. And it will roll through the Grecian Empire. And it, it will it will crumble the iron. And it will crumble the clay. And only the kingdom of God will stand. I want you to be part of that kingdom as I want to be part of that kingdom. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, right now I pray. And I believe that you are the solid rock. You are the firm foundation. You are the chief cornerstone. And today, Lord, I cast all of my confidence on you. How great are you, my God? How great are you? And today, I ask, Lord, that as I cast all of my cares, all of my burdens, all of my, all of my shortfalls, all of my mistakes, everything that there is about me, Lord, I cast it on your shoulders. And I ask you to redeem me out of the pit of hell. Redeem me. Lord, save me from my sins. Restore my soul. Renew me. Lord, set me into the pathways of righteousness. Lord God, let me walk in them for your name's sake. And Lord Jesus, that I may inherit, Lord, the kingdoms of the earth with you, Lord. That I may rule and reign with you, Lord God. Lord, help me that I may escape the judgment of God. Help me that I may escape the wrath of God by basking myself in the love that you have given us during the season. And Lord, I praise you and I give you glory and honor. Save me, Lord. Redeem me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And I profess you as Christ and Lord of my life. Based on your word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So like a rock. Like a rock. Like a rock. Immovable. Jesus Christ is our firm foundation. That mysterious rock that rolled out of the mountain behind Nebuchadnezzar's statue. That rock is Jesus Christ. We're living in that dispensation. One more time, I want to remind you, we're living in the iron and clay dispensation. It's not going to get fixed. No politicians going to, going to work it out. No government is going to resolve everything that needs to be resolved. But there is a soon coming king. That's going to rule and reign over this earth. I'm, I want to come back with him. I hope you do too.